Welcome to Playing Big, a podcast about what it means to play big in life and in business, and about changing the world with big ideas and big action. I'm your host, Blaine Fyan, Chief Evangelist here at True Footage, and I'd like to welcome each and every one of you to Playing Big. It is that time of year again, my friends. It is time to talk about money management and wealth building. We're headed into springtime for most people, which is the season of, well, renewal and rebirth. And it always feels like the best time to kind of refresh our goals and our plans for how we want to live, how we see our futures playing out, and how we plan to live in this world when we no longer want to work or simply can't work any longer. Now, I know for many, at least in the appraisal business world, the the retirement or what we call the delayed lifestyle enjoyment plan is based on the fact that appraisers can continue working in some capacity well into their 70s. There's probably some out there that are in their 80s. My father is in his early 70s, is in great health. He is an appraiser, and he still inspects houses every day. Do I think he should? No, but that's a whole different podcast. But he can do it, and he'll probably do it for the next 10 years or more. However, my recommendation in this regard is not to depend on having the ability to continue earning income that long into your life. At least not income that's based on you having to physically earn it. That's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. What we're looking for as early into our lives as possible is what is what is referred to as unearned income. It's a strange name for it because, of course, if it's income, it's being earned in some way. But for accounting purposes, it's referred to as unearned income, and that consists of income that is earned from investments, sometimes also called passive income. It's income that doesn't require you to physically work to earn it, and that kind of income is called Earned income, the the kind of income that you have to get out of bed and you have to physically go do is called earned income, and rightly so. Earned income comes from your physical labor as well as the, the maybe the businesses that you operate. And some people have a combination of earned income and unearned income, and bless you if you do. Sometimes you will hear, again, the term unearned income referred to as passive income, but I'm not a huge fan of that title because uh, I still have to do work to earn my passive income. If you own rental properties or if you invest in the market, if it's from the market, anybody who invests in the stock market or market investments, I'm researching stocks almost every day. I have trading view up on one of my screens almost every day, all day long, and I'm watching uh, different stocks and I'm looking for buy and sell signals and I'm reading reports, it's 10K reports, et cetera. There's still work involved in earning that unearned and so-called passive income, income from rental properties. Anybody listening that has a you know rental real estate knows it's anything but passive. It can be some of the hardest earned income out there. It's not passive by any means, but for accounting purposes, it's considered unearned. Nevertheless, for the purposes of this episode, we need to differentiate between income and wealth. That's the key because those are different. I know people who are what I would consider rich in terms of income, personal income, but poor in terms of wealth. And some of these people are earning more than a million dollars in personal income per year, yet they live lifestyles that eat up most of that income. And they have almost zero net worth. Not zero because they, you know, buying their houses and things, but many of them are way over capital. They, they owe more than what they have paid off, zero equity. Now, no problem with that if you can continue earning that income forever. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, what if you can't? Now, conversely, we probably all know people who earn relatively modest incomes, yet have 
awesome investment profiles, awesome investment discipline, and they have a plan. And we are typically in envy of those people. My, my best friend earns an okay, what I would call an okay income. I wouldn't want his income. He earns an okay income, but he owns millions of dollars in rental real estate. Now he can't live off of that passive or unearned. It's not passive for him. He works all the time, but he can't live off the unearned income yet, but he'll be able to at some point in the future when those mortgages are paid down or paid off and those rents will greatly exceed his current lifestyle because the rents keep going up. The value of those properties keeps going up. His equity keeps increasing over time. So he's, we're, we're going to talk about this later in the show, but he's gotten comfortable with the boredom with just slowly and methodically paying down those properties. So my friends, for this episode, income is the money that you have to get out of, income is the money that is, is, requires you to get out of bed. You have to go earn it physically. That's income. While wealth is the amount of money you need to achieve your purpose in life without having to physically work. Now, I hope you heard that and you're documenting those words. I, I didn't make them up. I got them from Gary Keller, founder of Keller Williams. Uh, he, he was talking about wealth with Jay Papazan. And they were talking about wealth in that way. And it really resonated with me because I talk about purpose all the time. So it's now how I define wealth because wealth is not necessarily a set amount of money, but instead a certain amount of unearned income. It's a certain amount in investments that kick off passive or unearned income that allow you to live the lifestyle that you want to live. Where many people think it is a set amount of money. But what I really love about his definition, Gary Keller's definition, is that it's an amount of money or unearned income that allows you to live on purpose on your purpose, maybe let's say it that way, because everybody lives on purpose. But are you living on your purpose or to your purpose? So it's an amount of money that allows you to live on purpose without having to physically work. And with that definition, you don't have to live by somebody else's definition or standards of wealth. And I'm sure in some circles, there are unwritten rules, right? If you want to call yourself wealthy, if, you, if you've got a net worth of a million dollars between your, your home equity and your investments and the Renoir painting and whatever else, and your net worth is a million dollars, I'm sure there is a decamillionaire, somebody worth 10 million or more, who considers you poor. You're not even allowed in the club. If you're worth $10 million, I'm sure there are centimillionaires or people worth more than 100 million who consider you unworthy of entrance into their club, and so on it goes. When you're a billionaire, somebody who is only worth 10 or $50 million, not that they think them poor, but they don't consider them truly wealthy. But that's not what we're talking about here. That's, that is called comparative wealth. And as Gary Keller talks about this, that is a loser's game. And I would agree. It's a keeping up with the Joneses mentality. It has nothing to do with a truth wealth, true wealth mindset. Wealth is a state of mind. It begins there. Everything we do is an inner game first before it's an outer game. If you don't have your inner game in order, your outer game isn't going to work well. So first thing we have to understand is wealth is a state of mind. It is a strategy and a plan second. So if you get nothing else from this episode, if the podcast machine gets turned off right now, I would want you to, to take these points with you. That wealth is a mindset first, and it's a strategy second, and it's not based on comparing yourself to anyone else or a set number, because you get to determine that. True wealth should be based on how much money you need to achieve your purpose in life without having to work. That's what it's about. Now, please 
Also notice, I didn't say that wealth is, a ba is based on an amount of money that you need to live the lifestyle that you, your dream lifestyle that you desire to have. Now, that's not a bad way to look at it because everybody's dream lifestyles might be different. But that's the way it's often taught. And I think it's the wrong direction to come at this thing. It's not the worst direction, but it's the wrong direction to start out for most people because most people will only give, this is the problem, a cursory thought or two to a particular lifestyle image without connecting, to it, connecting it to anything more meaningful like purpose, like your life's purpose. You just ask somebody, well, what's your dream lifestyle? And they imagine themselves on, a, on an island somewhere with a, a beautiful mansion and boats and cars and the whole nine yards. And then they, it kind of stops there. So if you imagine that, you imagine having a helicopter, jet helicopter. Well, how is having a helicopter tied to your life's purpose? For you and I, it might not be. If you're Tony Robbins, or I don't even want to say his name, but I will, Grant Cardone, not a fan. And your life's purpose entails being able to get to locations quickly and easily to teach and spread your message, a helicopter might be necessary. But do you and I need a helicopter? Well, who's to say? I can't determine that for you. But if it's tied to your life's, life's purpose and intention, then okay. The problem is most people, they stop there. They don't think deeply about it and they don't start to plan for it. So for most people, imagining that kind of lifestyle thinking that will motivate them to want to be wealthy is a pipe dream and it's likely not helpful. It's not helpful because the first rule of being wealthy is this. I hope you're writing this down. It's know your financial freedom number. Your financial freedom number is the first base of this whole process, and it is the amount of money or, let's say it again, unearned income that you need to live out your purpose and lifestyle. I'll say it again. You've got to know your financial freedom number. If you don't know your financial freedom number, none of this matters. The next four points won't matter. But you can get started and you can make a lot of headway by just knowing this one thing. What is your financial freedom number? And your financial freedom number is the amount of money in investments, a lump sum, or the amount of unearned income. There's a couple of ways you can come at this. You can do some calculations. You can use the 4% rule, which some say is outdated, but either way, it'll give you an idea. 4% rule is how much money do I need in an account, in, in an investment tomorrow or 10 years from whenever I want to retire that will kick off passive income enough, passive income monthly or annually, that I could live the lifestyle that I need and it will, it'll last me at least 30 years. That's one way to come at it. The other way to come at it is to say, how much monthly income do I need from in, in passive or unearned income that doesn't require my physical labor to fund my lifestyle? So there's, there's two components there. So for some, for as an example, having $5,000 per month in investment or passive unearned income coming in pays all their bills and allows them to exist in the kind of lifestyle that, that will allow them to live out their purpose. What if their house is already paid for? They have no house payment. So they have a, maybe a car payment. They need to buy some food. Now, when have you ever heard that having $60,000 per year will make you wealthy? $60,000 per year in unearned income. Most people would say, that's not wealthy at all. I need uh, hundreds of thousands. I need millions. No, we're coming at this from a different direction. If you had $60,000 per year that you didn't have to get out of bed for, could you live the lifestyle you want? Now, some of you might say, no, I live in California and the taxes are high and this and that and the other and I want a bigger house. Okay, fine. The whole point is know your number. And you've, you haven't heard anybody teach it this way, at least not this definition of wealth. 
So get it hammered into your head that wealth is a mindset first and then a strategy. And the strategy is first to have all of your bills covered by unearned income. That's the first step of financial freedom. Figuring out what, what your desired lifestyle is reasonably and effectively. And then how much money do I need either coming in monthly or annually to cover all that stuff so I know when I'm done. Now, aside from winning the lottery, this is the first step, in my opinion, to thinking about money. And very few think about it this way. How much of it do I need coming in to cover my house payment, the gas for my car so I can drive around, food for the kids if you still have them, for most of those will be grown and out of the house. Uh, How much do I need for entertainment? I don't want to be a hermit and just live in the house all day. Um, Maybe some travel. We want to take three or four trips per year. A few nice cigars every month or a nice dress and some jewelry. Maybe a vacation property, second, third home, and so on. It's up to you. Remember, it's a mindset first, and it's based on your lifestyle and you living out your life's purpose. Now, how much is that number? What is it? Think on it, dream on it, and tie your life's purpose to that number if you want to infuse this journey with some real meaning. You've got to know your financial freedom number first to even get started on this wealth journey, because if you don't know that number, you'll never know when you're done. You'll never know when you can stop working. And this is all tied to your freedom. I'll keep hammering that point over and over and over. Is the number $3,000 per month? Is it five? Is it 20? Is it 200? I'm not judging. You can decide what that is for you. But what is the number? What is the amount of unearned income to finance your life on purpose and the lifestyle that will help you live your purpose out? Because if you don't know that number, you will never know when you're finished and you'll never have enough. That's the problem. Once you know it, well, then you know when enough is enough. If you don't know your number, you'll never know when you can stop needing to physically earn it. And that's what we're trying to get to. Knowing what that number is gives you a finish line to know when you're done. And if you don't know where the finish line is, no amount will ever make you happy nor give you any freedom. So knowing your financial freedom number equates to freedom. That's what we're trying to tie it to. All right, that's that's number one. That's rule number one. The next step, rule, or phase of this wealth building journey, of course, is to create a plan. Once, once we stop dreaming, then we have to put it on paper. We have to create a plan. Know what your number is. Know why this number is important. That's the on-purpose part. Then create a plan to get that number as fast as possible without making bad decisions and choices. Now, when I say fast as possible, I'm not saying next month or next year. For some fast as possible, you look at the plan, you go, well, I don't, I don't see being there for at least 20 years. Okay, well, that's as fast as possible. But the idea is to get there as fast as possible so you can enjoy it and live your life on purpose. So this step entails deciding what method of investment vehicle or vehicles you need to get there. And again, it can be a combination. Will it be rental real estate? Will it be stocks and bonds? Will it be mutual funds? Will it be a business or businesses that don't require you to be there daily to run it? Will it be an invention? Will it be something else? Again, it's up to you. The rule here is that you either start with a lot of money to make a lot of money, or you have to begin with a little money invested over a long period of time with a decent return on that investment. It's that simple. Now, if all of this sounds Greek to you, we're talking about investments and rentals and this, it's simply a sign that you have to start studying. If you hear something and it, and it doesn't sound familiar to you, then you go, well, okay, wh- what do I do? My friends, we live in the information age. You can just grab the device that you're listening to my voice on and, and Google financial freedom number, how to get there or how to invest in real estate for dummies or how to invest in the stock market 
for dummies. And I know this is the step where I lose most people because that step is simply too much for them. They're busy, they're head down, they're doing, they go, okay, it was a great idea. I love it. Got me excited. And then they don't do anything with it. Oh, I actually have to do some work and learn some new things. No, no, no. That's not going to work for me, Blaine. I've got a lunch date at noon and so on it goes. And then they forget about it. For any of this to be helpful for you, my friends, you're likely going to have to venture into discomfort territory. I've talked about it in previous podcasts, what the Stoics called intentional discomfort. And you're, to, to learn and to grow, to head toward mastery, we've got to make ourselves uncomfortable. You're going to have to make yourself uncomfortable a bit to learn new things and grow into areas that you might not be familiar with currently. It's that simple. And that's how it works with everything. Everything. We can't grow as human beings in any area without breaking the shell, so to speak. The shell that we currently exist in. We're constantly in a state of building up new shells around us. That's where we feel comfortable and safe. And if we want to grow, you've got to crack the shell and you've got to expand outside of it. And you've got to be willing to make yourself uncomfortable to grow. It's that simple. Know what your freedom number is first, then start to develop a plan to get there. That's number two. The next rule of wealth is that you've got to track your money, track your dollars. I've done podcasts on this topic in the past and I, I, always came at it from the angle of wealth building traps or mistakes because that's I heard Gary Keller talk about it this way and I thought, oh, that's a great way to present it. I've been teaching on wealth building for years and then I heard some people talking about it. Gary Keller was one of them. And they talked about the seven traps of wealth building. I'm only talking about five traps, excuse me, uh, five points or rules of wealth building here. So I didn't want to come at it from the area of or the direction of what you're not doing or mistakes. So the way I talked about this one in the past was from the perspective of, 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 peop, of mistakes that people make. And one of those mistakes is not tracking your dollars. I do think it's a mistake to not track your dollars. But I want to come at it from the rule. The rule is track your dollars. I don't care if you make $1,000 per month. If you don't track every dollar in and out, you are likely letting dollars slip through the hole of what we call dumb spending. So in essence, start keeping score. That's all. Every dollar, Blaine? Maybe. I don't care. Let a few dollars slip. I'm just telling you to start tracking. Track your money. It's your money. You're spending your life energy to earn it. If it's worth doing that, then at least start tracking it. Because you don't know, again, if you're winning or losing, if you don't know two things. What the goal is, and am I ahead or am I behind? March Madness is in full effect right now. College basketball. I'm not big into basketball, but you don't have to really know anything about the sport of basketball to know that the goal is simple. For each team, their goal is put the ball in their basket to gain points and do that as many times as humanly possible so that you have more points than the other team when the clock reads 0.00 at the end of the game and the buzzer goes. That's it. It's pretty simple. Now, the great thing about wealth building is that it's a game against yourself. Remember, we talked about comparative wealth. You don't have to, you don't have to compete against somebody else. It's a game against you to a large degree, and it's a game against the buzzer or the end of the game, and that's when you want to achieve financial freedom. Is it in one year, five years, 10 years, 20? When will the clock hit 0.00 for you and the buzzer goes off? That's one of the questions. Now, since I've talked about Gary Keller a couple times in the show so far, Gary Keller's phrase on this point is that untracked dollars lead to dumb money. Now, they go deep, and I've gone deep in, in other podcasts on what dumb money is. There's, there's categories of money. So I'll just briefly go through it. Dumb money in the world of investing is money that is eaten up by inflation. Now, if you were to listen, if you were to find that podcast, I, I think it's called uh, Think Like a CEO by Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. 
where they talk about the seven traps of wealth and they lay out, and I think it might be in the millionaire real estate agent as well. Either way, you can probably Google it. However, uh, the, the definition of dumb money has changed. Why? Because inflation has changed. But typically, they set, they set their rate. Dumb money is the, is, is the amount of money that is eaten up by inflation. So dumb money is money in your bank account earning 0.3 or 0.4% interest, while inflation, which the government, the Fed, is typically looking to, to be around 2%, but it's much higher than that, real, real inflation. So if the interest, uh, excuse me, if, if inflation is, say, 4% or 6%, maybe it's 10%. Real documented erosion of your spending capacity in the in the form of inflation. I mean, gas prices are way up there, and food prices are way up there. So to say that inflation is you know two percent or three percent is ridiculous. It's probably more like six, eight, ten percent, maybe more. So if you're you've got money in a bank account and you think, well, it's in there for security, but I also earn a little bit of money on it, Blaine. Well, great. How much money? Most people don't know, but it's ridiculously low. 0.3, 0.4, maybe 0.5 in a money market. That means if inter, uh, if inflation is 6%, which again, I think it's higher, then you're losing 5.5% of your money all the time. Dumb money could also be considered buying a jet ski with a bank loan when you have nothing in your IRA, nothing in your investments yet. Dumb money is living on credit cards to fund a lifestyle today that will keep you from living on purpose five years from now because you're still paying on the interest on that jet ski. If you live in Michigan, you can only ride that damn thing three months out of the year. So that's dumb money. We want to get into what's called at least the safe money zone at bare minimum. At better than the safe zone is what we call healthy and then wealthy money or wealthy money zones. Those would be the best. The healthy and wealthy money zones are where your money is earning 9% and higher returns on your investments over a long time horizon. Now, if you're not tracking your dollars, you won't know this. So track your dollars in and out as diligently as possible. Just plain and simple. How do I do that, Blaine? I don't care. There's all kinds of apps out there, Quicken, and you know, you can just grab a little book and just keep it by your desk and then track money in and out. Everybody's got digital bank accounts and debit cards, and you can just look on your phone and look on your bank app, and you can track in and out. But you got to track it. So that's the third rule. Know what's going out, know what's coming in. The fourth rule, I talked about this at the beginning of the show. Fourth rule is to get comfortable with the area between boredom and mastery. Now, when I hear this, when I heard somebody else express this, I instantly thought about martial arts because I grew up in the martial arts world. And in the martial arts world, we talk about this very same concept, the area between boredom and mastery. We talk about this as the blue belt or the brown belt zone or purgatory sometimes. In, in kind of sophisticated and complex martial arts like Aikido or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it can take 6, 8, 10, 12, maybe more years to attain a black belt. Like, you got to train a long time. Some of the first ranks are relatively easy to achieve in, in most martial arts. You just have to kind of show up consistently and learn some of the basics, and then you get some stripes on your belt, and, you know, eventually get you, you test into some colored belt ranks like, you know, blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and... Purple's tougher, and then brown, and so on and so forth. In a lot of martial arts, you know, you know white belt and yellow belt and green belt, and, and people can fly through them in a year or two. But in Aikido and in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it takes a long time. you got to show up. And in both of those arts, there is a blue belt level and a brown belt level, it, in most systems anyway. And those levels feel like real solid accomplishments, and they are. 
However, once you get that belt, that color belt, that rank, the time in between those ranks, so, so from blue belt to whatever the next rank is, like uh, purple belt or something in, in jiu-jitsu, in Aikido, it could be from blue to brown belt. But the time in between those ranks and then the time between, say, brown belt and black belt can feel interminable, never-ending. It's an endless purgatory of training that can last years and years and years while you're working on the mastery of your art. And many give up in those stages. They get the blue belt and brown belt blues, we used to call it, where you'd, you'd start seeing them less and less show up each week to class. And it's because their only goal was to achieve a black belt. Their, their ego was tied to that. So instead of the training being the thing, just showing up for class every day and that being the thing, they had their mindset on a black belt. So if their goal was just to achieve a black belt, if your goal is simply to, to, to get that rank, you're going to be disappointed at some point when you look out and you go, oh my God, it's going to take me five more years to get the next belt. But if your goal is to simply train each week and slowly learn, well, then you'll train as long as your body will allow, regardless of the color of the belt you wear. But if your goal is just to wear a particular belt, like a black belt, you're going to become bored and uncomfortable with the waiting time. You look out over time and you see the massive chasm between where you are now and where you want to be at some point in the future, and you freak out and you quit. You go, okay, this isn't for me. And the same thing happens with investing to, to reach some level of financial freedom. It can take a long time. You do the calculations that I'm suggesting you do. You realize that you need 1.5 million at minimum in some kind of investment with a decent return to fund your lifestyle. The funding, meaning the interest that you earn on that 1.5 million. Let's say it's 10% annually over a longer time horizon. Well, that's $150,000 a year in interest that it bleeds off to fund your lifestyle that you don't have to tap into the principal. So if you look at that and you go, well, I'm not even close to 1.5 million, and then you freak out and you go buy a jet ski on credit. So you've got to be okay with the boredom that inevitably sets in between the start of your journey and the path to mastery or the end, the buzzer, 0.00, when it's all done. The path to mastery, my friends, of anything is a long one. I don't care if it's public speaking or being a good appraiser or being a good loan officer or real estate agents. To truly master it, the path is long. It's a never-ending journey, really. The payoff at the end is massive, though. If you steal yourself, S-T-E-E-L, make yourself like steel, prepare yourself for the long slog, and then you'll have what we call an uncommon future. Maybe you've heard this term before. Former Navy SEAL David Goggins, he's become super popular in the last five years or so. He's got a saying that I love. I don't like all his stuff, but he's got a saying that I love, which is to stay uncommon amongst uncommon people. Now, the way I would say it is to fight with everything you have to be uncommon amongst common people. What he means is uncommon people are people who have achieved things. But I think the way he should be saying it is fight with everything you have to be uncommon amongst common people. The world is filled with common folk. There's nothing wrong with that if you're happy with mediocrity. That's what I consider common people. People that are like, I'm just good with this. I'm just good with average. I'm good with being mediocre. If you're not okay with being average, then you have to fight to be uncommon amongst all the common people, common ideas, and the common effort in the world. It wouldn't be called average if it wasn't average. That it's common. Very few people are uncommon in their thoughts, ideas, 
investing, so on and so forth. Now, the fifth rule, that's the fourth. The fifth rule is of wealth building is simply to invest, not speculate. Investment entails thinking through and doing some research. Speculation is just throwing your money at something, hoping for a return. There are a variety of different ways to invest your money. So this rule will kind of flex depending on your chosen vehicle, your, your, how you want to invest. You can be a value investor. That's a big common term made popular by Warren Buffett. And invest with an extremely long time horizon. You could be a swing trade investor. I'm a swing trader. And learn the patterns, whether it's candlestick patterns or whatever, of, of particular sectors or particular stocks. And then you get in and out of trades in, sh in a shorter time frame. So instead of investing for 10, 20, or 30 years, you invest sometimes for three months, six months, maybe a year. You, you watch how, how certain industries and certain uh, stocks follow certain factors. And then you go, okay, every, I, I see every three months this one goes up to 25 and then it drops back down to 10. Cool, I'll buy at 10. I'll wait until it goes back, back up to 25 and then I sell or take money off the table, it's called. But you gotta have a plan. That's called being a swing trader. You can be a day trader. I don't recommend this, but so on. Value investor, long-term, swing pattern trader, day trader. That's if you wanna invest in the market. Whatever your chosen method, you could rent, uh, buy, buy rental real estate. You could buy commercial real estate. You could uh, buy and sell uh, vehicles on... Uh, Facebook marketplace. But whatever your chosen method of developing passive or unearned income, know the rules of that particular game and know what constitutes real investing and what constitutes speculation. Speculation is based on hope for a positive outcome. And sometimes it works, other times, well, you get burned. And with all investments, you make your money going into the investment. Well, this might sound confusing to the novice because people tend to think that you make money when you sell something. But that's called realizing your profits. You just realize them when you sell. You can also realize your losses when you sell. Money is made when you, on the buying side. Money is made when you buy something good, you buy it at a good price, and you hold that asset as it grows. You can't realize a profit or a loss. Well, let's say this first. You can't realize a profit if the asset is worth less today than when you bought it, which is why it's said that you make your money going in. I've got a few stock investments today as of this recording that are worth less than what I have invested in them because the stock price has dropped from when I started buying them. Now, if I sell my shares today, if I freak out and sell, I realize the losses. I will take the loss, the erosion of my capital. I'm not. I'm going to hold them. And if I hold them long enough to let the stock come back up and above my average share price, I can sell and realize a profit. That's what swing traders do. So what do I do? Well, I hold, of course. And in fact, typically, good swing traders will buy more of that stock if we believe in it, which I do. We buy as it's dropping. Some people freak out. That's what the common people do. Uncommon people see it dropping and they go, not going to freak out. Those are deals that are, that are being created. It's called dollar cost averaging. You see the share price dropping and you buy more at the lower share price, which effectively lowers your overall per share cost. So if you believe in that investment, you buy more as it's tanking and then you wait for it to come back up. Nevertheless, this is not an episode or a podcast on how to invest, but instead on the rules for building wealth. So let's recap the rules to wrap this up. Number one, wealth building is a mindset. And closely tied to that, you've got to know your, fun, uh, your financial freedom number. What is it? Take some time to figure out how much unearned income you need to live your lifestyle on purpose. Number two, create a plan to get there 
over the time horizon you believe you can do it in. How long is it going to take you? When do you want to stop working? That's number two. Number three, track your damn dollars. You've got to know what's going in and what's going out. Give each of your little soldiers, each of your little dollars a job. Some of the job is to pay down debt. Some of the job is to uh, buy milk and eggs. Some of the job of those little soldiers is to invest for the long term. But give each of your dollars a job. We teach in our coaching program the Profit First system, which essentially talks about this extensively. You pick your, your profit level first, and then you give each of your dollars a job. Some go to bills, some go to paying down debt, but you don't have anything left in the bank account at the end of the month because you take anything that is left and you put it in investments and giving and those kinds of things, but you only get there if you track it. You've got to know what's going in and what's going out. You control it. It's your money. You're, you're spending your life energy. You're investing your life energy to earn it. Most people think then, oh, well, I earned it. That's my bonus money. I get to go buy a jet ski. No, you spent your life energy earning that money. Now make your money work for you and earn more of it. That's number three, track your dollars. Number four, get comfortable in the gap between mastery and boredom. Get comfortable with the boredom, folks. It can take a long time to get there. Settle in for the journey. It is a marathon, not a sprint. Number five, invest, don't speculate. Buy with the intention of selling. You you make money going in. You make money when you buy it and buy with the intention of selling. Ask yourself, when am I gonna sell this? If it's not for 40 years, fine. But if it's in six months or one year or two years or five years, have that, have that intention. Don't speculate. Have an escape plan. And remember that your money is made on the buy side. It's going in. Your money is realized when you sell. You've got this, my friends. Until next week, I'm out.